First Corinthians chapter 11. We, I, was, I was saying earlier we're going to start there, but uh, yeah, I don't know how you do it with phones. I haven't figured out how to be so fast on the Bible app there. We're going to be going all over the place. We're going we're gonna to let this launch us into an exploration of a biblical theme tonight here from First Corinthians 11. So hey, listen, um, I have... Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, at 7.30, dodge out and quickly leave here. There's somebody that's having surgery tomorrow that doesn't go to our church, and they're quite private, and so if I told you I would violate their privacy, you know, different people are like that. And Karen and I are going to see them tonight and to pray with them, and, um, but they have to get up early to go to the hospital. And so... Um, we don't want them waiting up all night. So typically a class like this with a topic like this um, ends up with lots of really, really good conversation afterwards. And so I've figured out how to dodge all that. So <laughs> can I come pray for you right after class tonight? So, so, and I'll just say this again. I said it last week. I made the mistake six years ago when we went through this material, although it's not going to be, it's not a duplicate. I can't do that necessarily, but... Um, I did more teaching. I said, all right, at the end, I'll ask some questions, and then we never got to the questions. And so if you have questions, don't wait till the end. Don't wait till I ask. Um, raise your hand or just make comments. I really, um, what's going to be different this time than what it was six years ago, I, 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 I spoke too much, and we didn't have enough uh, discussion. There's a lot of people here in this class that happen to be older than I am, and I, I would look upon your gray hair as, as symbols of wisdom. And so I, I believe there's a lot of spiritual maturity here and um, experience far beyond what I have. And so I think it'd be horrible if you just heard some young buck just out of school talk to you. Uh, I'm kidding there. But um, so please, please. Um, and there are no, um, there are no, you're safe here, okay? So if you ask a question, I will try not to put you down and make you feel stupid for the question. I'll try not to. Um, because I know this is a sensitive topic, and if you ask the question, oh, he's a liberal, or she's a conservative, just by asking that question, we shouldn't have such 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 character at all. Um, love love must dominate. That's actually the, 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 the overall key point here in First Corinthians where we're going to be later on in chapter 13 and so um, but I really I really care I don't want you leaving here going yeah I didn't understand that. I didn't like that I didn't agree with that um, bring up your questions it happens a lot that after class someone comes up and makes a great comment that they were going to say but didn't and I thought why didn't you say it in class or they'll come up and ask a question and I said, oh, you should have asked that in class. That's a really good question. And so don't be inhibited. And when you see me take off, I'm not dodging you. Um, but I'm, I'm leaving to go see someone. So last week we introduced this series. And, and I started out by sharing with you how our culture, there's this, it just, I don't know, ever since I've been alive, I've noticed it. Our culture, there's a, there's a controversy constantly in a debate over gender distinctions, you might say. And it's a big deal right now, isn't it? Um, gender discrimination. A lot of, lot of talk and a lot of debate and a lot of divisive stuff in our community about that. And, and it, thankfully, it's not in the church. 
<laughs> That's sarcastic. Uh, it is. It is in the church. And there are those questions. And it's seeped in the church. And it's become very divisive in the church on, at large. And it's, it's, it's a challenge we have here in our church family. Now, we, we talked about that. So I'm, I'm going to try not to repeat myself with introductions every time. But the good news, the good news about this is that God has something to say. He, he didn't create us and say, you figure it out. Or um, you figure out this men, women stuff and the church and all that and the community. I, I believe God has given us some guidance and some guidelines here in his word. And it is an imperative that we know what God has to say. We know what his word and will is on this matter Part of the challenge is, often is, once we see it, we don't like it. And so there's where we don't like what God has to say. And so we, we struggle there and reinterpret or do whatever with it. And so um, I said this last week, and I will repeat it again. I, I, I am confident of this, that the, the leadership of this church, and I speak primarily about our, our shepherds here, hold very firmly to the authority in the guidance of Scripture, and absolutely do not want to have a belief or a practice that is contrary to God's Word. And so, um, that's why I ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, and not to some trendy book on whatever that might be written on this topic. Um, one of you sent me an email with a question this week, and I said, yeah, a lot of those questions we'll be talking about in class. And the, and the question was, it seems as though in the culture you see women's liberation movement moving on, moving on, moving on. And I even opened up, we're talking about the women's suffrage movement last week, and, uh, and then you see this happening and this happening, and it just leads to this and leads to this. And are we as a church to follow that and adapt to that and adjust to what we see in our culture? Is that what is to guide us? And, and I believe the, the answer is absolutely no, clearly no. So there's, a, there's one answer to one question. God's word is, is it a word or have I made this word up? I know the word cross-cultural, but I think I, I say trans generational, transcultural, from whatever time and whatever day, God's word is applicable. And so that's a challenge here with this topic because some of the stuff we're going to see even tonight and really dig into next week, is that cultural or are the women need to start wearing hats starting next Sunday? The, the, like what's cultural, what's transcultural, transgenerational, cross-cultural, cross um, we, 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 we are guided by the word of God. It, it is ever... Um, it is eternal. It is unchanging. We are not to be guided, and our shepherds are not guided by what is woke, what is trendy, or um, what is the newest movement in our culture. Having said that, we need to be paying attention to that. And we need to be figuring out, given the culture we live in, how do we take the gospel of Christ into that with no compromise on Scripture? That's a, that's a constant thing that we need to be asking. So, 
I, I, while our, pro, our topic here uh, is about women's role in general, um, we're, going, we're primarily starting out, but we're, I think we're going to move beyond that. Six years ago, I only pre- stayed on three passages. Of course, they took us other places, but these are our primary areas of focus. And these are passages that speak about what's hap- what happens in this room, or what you might call the assembly, wherever the assembly might be. And so that's really where we're going to start. But then that leads us to broader discussions about men and women and their roles in a larger context beyond Sunday morning from 1010 to... Um, whenever we end, and um, depending on the preacher. Um, so, so we're going to be looking at, at three passages primarily, and those are going to lead us to other places. And then I think near, near the end of this, after we unpack these passages and look at them, we'll, we're going to talk about some larger principles that are at play here. So we're going to be looking at, as I told you last week, 1 Corinthians 14 and, and 1 Timothy 2. Those are the two restriction passages that cause so much of the challenge and we're going to look at those not in their isolation but we're going to back out and look at the larger context of both of those but what we're where we started out last week was in first corinthians chapter 11 one that in days past it's now being talked about more has not really been approached and not been considered and i think it's huge i think it's very valuable and it, and it gives tremendous insight i better understand these other two problematic passages when I get the principles that are here and there there is a lot here a whole lot here more than than we're going to have time uh, fully tonight so we're just working through this and and I'm not necessarily in a hurry you've been with me through a series in Jude so you should know that by now Um, (laughs) I'll always be remembered for that won't I Um, Okay, and so another thing before we read the passage, I do want to read it again, and, and I kind of introduced this thought last week just for a quick summary, is we understand, hopefully we do, that Paul didn't, I think, I think he was likely in Ephesus, you can disagree with that, we can still be in fellowship, uh, when he wrote, wrote 1 Corinthians, I don't think he was going, oh, I got some time on my hands, I'm going to write the church in Corinth and tell them, uh, I write a treatise or a doctrinal statement on marriage and divorce and the resurrection and sexual immorality and uh, and on eating meat he, he wasn't just writing these things that they need to know this stuff there were problems in the church in Corinth as a matter of fact we know in chapter 7 is it in verse 1 that a letter had been written which we're not privy to that said we got these problems and they just were going through problems and so first Corinthians is now about this that you wrote now about this and he's working through those problems and we also know from chapter 1 that from the household of Chloe somebody had told on the church and said Paul you need to know what's going on it's likely those people that told on the church and it was good that they did um, were likely the um, carriers of that original letter that we don't have access to and so Paul is in 1 Corinthians in everything he writes I don't think there's one time that he's not addressing a problem that was in the church there so they had a lot of problems because there's 15 chapters and here he's addressing a problem they were having. So that's important to understand that in order for us to better understand this, we need to understand, well, what was the problem? Figure that out. Okay, if that was the problem, now what does he say to solve that problem? Figure that out. Now, what's that got to do with us? How's that relevant? So that's, that's really what, what we want to do and what we're doing. Um, let's, let's pray and read the passage again. <clears throat> Verse 1. 
Father, we, we truly believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. We believe that the Apostle Paul was not just a brilliant man writing brilliant thoughts, but we believe that you, Holy Spirit, indwelled him and filled him and guided him. And so we believe that these are your God-breathed words that you have preserved miraculously down through the ages into our language. And so we ask you to breathe on us tonight. And we, we ask, Father, that you would do more than just give us insight into some of the complications. Certainly we ask for that, of this issue that we're looking at. But your word is, 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 is light. Bring light into our darkness. Your word is, is nourishment. We ask that you would feed us and nourish us. And, and this would be a, a time of, of truly hearing from you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 2 through 16. I praise you for... Chapter 11, verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Interesting. Somebody brought that up last week. He's talking about traditions. They're not necessarily all bad. So keep that in mind. He uses that word, I think, in 1 Thessalonians and translates it into doctrine. So the word tradition is not always a bad word. And I need to keep reading. Verse 3. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of God. <laughs> what interesting stuff there, isn't it? What a, okay, right. I, I did that on purpose to see if you were paying attention. I, did I really do that? Oh, I'm sorry. That's what I get for looking up and around while I'm reading. Focus, Eddie. Verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of man. But woman is the glory of... A man not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Got it. Thank you. For man... I, I can't be confusing in this topic, okay? For man did not come from woman... But woman came, woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that everybody clearly gets, right? It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Huh. Nevertheless, now I didn't read that incorrectly, all right? Nevertheless, in the Lord... Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay, so I read that last week, and we opened up for discussion, and I said, all right, let's, let's figure out the problem. So we did that last week. I believe we did. It's clear there were some people who were being contentious in the church, which means 
literally two Greek words together, lover of quarrels. There's some people that just like to, they like to get in this and create strife and division. You got that in Corinth all over the place. Here, though, specifically, while Paul is addressing the whole church, the problem is more addressed to the women and there was improper behavior in some way related to the women who were praying and prophesying in a manner that wasn't appropriate. And the manner that wasn't appropriate is that they were praying and prophesying, not having a covering on their head while they were doing that. So, simply stated, what's the problem in Corinth? Women were praying and prophesying without their heads covered. So, as we, as we mentioned last week, notice Paul doesn't say, women, stop praying and prophesying. He didn't say that. And you might expect him to say that because you, you sh- surely are well-versed in 1 Corinthians 14, women, be silent. 1 Timothy 2, uh, be silent. So you expect Paul to say, don't you know women are supposed to be silent? Stop the praying and prophesying. It's interesting to me here in 1 Corinthians 11, he doesn't tell them, to not pray and prophesy, but he says, if you're going to do it, this is how. Okay? And if you disagree, that's okay. Um, or we can talk about that. It's so, so the problem wasn't that they were speaking in the assembly, in the church gathering. It's not that they were speaking. It's how they were doing it. Now, you might be asking a question, and we'll come to that. Whoa, wait a minute. How do you know this is the assembly? Good question. I believe it is, and I believe it's pretty clear that it is, but there are interpretations, there are some who say it's not. Um, So, this was creating women who basically were behaving uh, dishonorably. They were being contentious. This was creating division and strife in the church, and so Paul is correcting this. Now, there's four questions we want to work on, and we're only going to work on probably one tonight, and I hope so because I didn't bring notes for any more because I bring notes for like 10 weeks of stuff, and I don't get it through it all. So I said, you're not doing that. You're just going to focus on this tonight. What I want to, we're going to look at four questions. Tonight we're going to look at, well, what does it mean that they were prophesying? They were praying and prophesying. So, so prayer, I think we know what that means, but I think just for the sake of studying about prophecy in general, it's not something that we've talked about in our church heritage, in my memory, a lot. Uh, and certainly not women prophesying. So we've heard a little bit, somewhat about prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, but I, I, I don't remember lots of it being taught. So, uh, I, so what, what, what does it mean that these women were doing? I think that's really insightful. I think it really, really is helpful to look at that. And then, okay, based upon that, what, what are the instructions he gives? You're not doing this in the proper way. You need to do it like this. What is, what is the instructions that he gives them? And is that cultural or is it not? And whether it is or whether it isn't, what's a, there is a larger principle at play there that's the second question what instructions did he give and then also what we can talk about um we probably will what setting is being addressed because some will say well the reason women were speaking like this in these ways because they weren't at church on sunday morning it was outside of that time it was not the assembly and then let's say they then the fourth or fifth question whatever number i'm at the next question is well wait a minute I'm really confused here. If women 
were praying and prophesying in the church and they weren't told to stop, but they were told how, then how do I reconcile that in 1 Corinthians 14 with this passage that says, be quiet. Yeah, you're not supposed to be talking in the church. Twice he says that, 1 Timothy 2. How do, how do I reconcile these together? Uh, is Paul confused, contradicting himself, or is there an explanation? There is an explanation, obviously. Um, and then obviously the fifth question is, after we pull out of this first century context, how, how in the world is this applicable and relevant to us? So let's talk <clears throat> about prophecy. Let's, let's just start with a, a, a definition of prophecy. Or based upon your dictionary or lexicon, if you've got some Greek scholars here, based upon your knowledge of that or based upon your knowledge of biblical examples of prophecy? What are we talking about? When we, when we say that there were women in the church in Corinth who were prophesying, what is prophecy? Your turn. Barry? Speaking the words of God. Carl? Okay. To what, to what extent is Isaiah preaching? Okay, are you drawing a difference between... I'm saying a prophet is, is uh, preaching for God or speaking for God. A prophet is one who preaches or speaks for God. So we get, it's, just, it's a little troubling if we got women that are prophesying and a prophet is one who preaches for God. You see the, see the, the tension already that you feel just by defining it like that. Okay, and, and we talked about Isaiah and Jeremiah. I, I am having a wonderful morning study through Jeremiah and the most repetitive phrase in all of Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. A prophet is one who speaks words that were given to him by the Lord. Richard? Interpret or foretell. To interpret something, when you say foretell, you, it means tell the future. And, and I've heard added to that, it means to foretell or it means to foretell. Uh, somebody in a fancy way. And what that person means by foretell, a lot of times prophets would say, and Jeremiah does this a lot, this is going to happen in the distant future. Seventy years from now, you're going to actually leave Babylon. In a, in a few months from now, you're actually going to go there. So he's telling the future. But a lot of times, uh, Jeremiah is just foretelling. He's just saying, this is something God wants you to know right now. Uh, who else had their hands up? Okay. Inspired, you came up with something that's really good there. And this, the inspired, say that again. The dis, ins, inspired declaration of divine will and purpose. The invi, inspired declaration of divine will and purpose. So, if if I were to any other any other ideas or thoughts we've left out of that, before I give you the correct answer, Keith. Okay, prophecy is not always miraculous teaching of God. Okay. Okay, so it's not always miraculous. God in this moment is, is having me say these words to you. It's, it's kind of like what I'm doing right now then. You're saying, I'm prophesying by telling truths from God. Okay, that would be, and which I would be, um, but it's what, given to me by God. We could at least say that, right? Okay. Yes, sir? Larry? 
good example in Acts 21? Agabus. So Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. The disciples say, please don't go, please don't go. I'm just repeating it so everybody can hear. Go ahead. Yeah. In this way, the Jew, uh, Jews of Jerusalem find the owner of this belt and hand him over to him. So Paul's on his way, and the disciples saying, "Don't go. You're going to have trouble." Agabus, the prophet, comes and says, "God wants me to tell you this message," and he did it the, through a visible illustration. Uh, you read Jeremiah; he had to do all kinds of crazy stuff, visual aids uh, to make his points. And he was, "This is what's going to happen to you in the future." Um, so if you were to, if you've probably heard me share this tool with you before. I think it's quite handy. Blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org. I go there, I pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I, I pull up a verse um, in, in chapter 11 that speaks of women prophesying. I click on that verse, and it shows me the English words. It shows me the Greek words and I click on the Greek word and it gives me an English definition and it gives me all the verses in the Bible that use that word and how they're translated. Tremendous tool. So if I did that with this word, I would get these words to prophesy to be a prophet to speak forth by divine inspiration, to predict with the idea of foretelling future events pertaining especially to the kingdom of God, to utter for, to declare a thing which can only be known, to declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. That's interesting and helpful. To teach, to refute, to reprove. And so that's, you know, when somebody's prophetic, they're usually not really soft in their messages. But they, are, they can be to comforting. Um, so in general, Barry summed it up very well because it matches very much what I've got. And so we'll say that's, you summed it up well, to speak a message from God. That's, that's biblically speaking what prophecy means. So let's connect the dots of those definitions from the lexicon and from biblical examples. And let's connect that to 1 Corinthians 11. There were women in the church in Corinth who were prophesying meaning they were verbally speaking messages from God. They were not told to stop doing that. They were told how to do that appropriately. And this pause is, I know that, what? So if you've got questions, I'm darting out at 7.30. <laughs> All right. Is that right? That, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a big pill to swallow, isn't it? Did you, okay, yes, sir. The passage that Larry read just a moment ago about Agabus. And it says he was a prophet. The verse right before that. And then he gives an example of Agabus, a prophet, who spoke a message from God. And so, so it's, it's quite an interesting context or flow of thought in that passage where Agabus uh, 
says, I'm, I'm speaking to you as a prophet from God. Here's what's getting ready to happen. Right before a prophet of God speaks a message, there's, there's Paul stopped by the house of Philip, one of the seven, uh, um, who was a servant in the church. And it says he had four girls, four daughters, unmarried. They were prophetesses. And then we have an example of what a prophet does. And that was a man in that example of what he did. So speaking of that, you kind of gave a good segue um, since our topic in 1 Corinthians 11 is about women prophesying, let, let's go into the Old Testament and let's, let's, let's decide, let's, let's look at some prophetesses in the Old Testament. Who was the first one mentioned? Tim. Miriam. Miriam. Who was Miriam? Moses' sister. Who was Moses' brother? Aaron and others, who was Moses' mom and dad? Sunday school, Jacobad, was that her name? And the dad? Sorry? Amram. Um, Miriam was a prophetess. How do we know that? We know that in Exodus chapter 15. They crossed the Red Sea. They are worshiping. I'm just going to turn there. They're worshiping. Uh, beautiful. The song of Moses. Sing the song of Moses. Um, and that's a song that we find in Exodus 20. Nope. Exodus 15. My bad. I got 20 because it's verse 20. Exodus chapter 15. We've got the song of Moses and Miriam. And in and, 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 and verse 20, and, and singing the song, and like they're rejoicing that Pharaoh and his armies have been swallowed up in the sea. Um, verse 20, then Miriam the prophet, or we could say prophetess, Aaron's sister, she took, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. My goodness. Instruments, dancing, and women. Um, Miriam sang to them, sang to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He is hurled into the sea. Now, if I were, if I were speaking, I, I, I might give a little rebuttal. Yeah, but who was she leading in this point with her prophecy? She was leading a group of women. So that's interesting. But she was a prophetess. Um, Miriam was. I think it's interesting. I don't know how significant it is, but I'll bring it up. Miriam and Aaron got uptight with Moses about what? You remember that? She was a prophetess. Sorry? I'm so sorry. Yeah, it says we got a problem with your Cushite wife, but then it moved on to something more. It's kind of like where they starting out with that was the reason, but, but what happened there? They So, so, so there's there some jealousy. There was something to do with his Cushite wife. There was some pride. It was like, so who, may, who died made you in charge, Moses? Why can't we? And, you know, and why are you the big spokesman? And, and she was a prophetess. I mean, you know, she's, she's, she's had that experience. And God said, oh, you don't do that. <laughs> you, you don't question authority, dear. Struck her with, with leprosy. Remember in Jude, we did the Sons of Korah story? 
And it was Korah and his fellows that said, oh, thank you, you're the big guy in charge. We can be in charge too. And the earth opened up and swallowed him. You don't mess with that. And God, God has an authoritative structure. There's something serious about that. Now, he, he healed her of that. So that's interesting. She was a prophetess, but she wasn't there to mess with the position that Moses had. Is there a point there? I don't know, but food for thought. Okay, another, any other prophetesses in the Old Testament? Deborah. Deborah, what do we know about her? Judges 4.4. Four. In verse 4 it says, Now Deborah a prophetess, and then I've got dot, dot, dot without opening to 4.4. Four. And it says, you know, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to that because I remember I looked at that earlier today and I thought we need to read that. Judges 4.4. 4. Not Judge Judy, but Judge Deborah. She was one of the judges. And now Deborah, verse 4, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She wasn't, she wasn't leading the women's ministry of Israel. All right? She's, she's leading Israel. She's in charge, all right? Now, I'll have to say, some people that go to Deborah, I say, yeah, I'm not sure if, Deb if the book of Judges is a template for how the church is supposed to be run because a repetitive phrase in Judges is now, in those days, every, there was no king and everybody did as they want. So I'm not going, and then wherefore, we should do everything we see in the book of Judges. It, it was, it's a crazy book. But here, we see a woman who was a prophetess and she was the, the leader of Israel. As a matter of fact, it says... Um, verse 5 she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided by a woman leader of Israel at the time who was a prophetess as well Okay, that means she received revelations and messages from God to communicate to his people as their leader as a matter of fact in one instance in verse 6 when um, God, just read it verse 6 she sent for Barak Barak son of Abinoam from Kedesh and Naphtali and said to him the Lord the God of Israel commands you she didn't say I Deborah the big cheese here this is, this is God commanding you just like Jeremiah just like his main thing the Lord said this um, prophetess other examples in the Old Testament. Huh? Huldah. Tell us about Huldah. All right, so Josiah the king in, uh, in, in 2 Kings chapter 22. The <clears throat> Israelites had been so incredibly far from God. And then finally this young boy, how old was Josiah when he started out as king? Wasn't he eight years old? You're showing six fingers? Six? Eight? You're wrong, Ted. <clears throat> so says Sharon, by revelation, right? We'll call you a prophetess. <laughs> um, so what, what we got going, the book of the law was lost. They found it. Josiah had it read, and Josiah goes, good. 
grief. We are so far away from this. We are so messed up. We have sinned. What do we do about this? We need to find out what we do about this. He sent the leaders of his land to a woman prophetess named Huldah. And he asked her, they asked her, what are we to do? And I'm in Judges and 2 Kings. And also 2 Chronicles 34 and 2 Kings, 2 Kings 22 as well. It's a parallel story. Um, She said to these men who had come to her, this is what the Lord God has to say to you. And she went on to tell them that. A group of men in Israel went to ask a woman, hold a a prophetess for what God's will was concerning God's word. She gave them a message from God. So this is clearly, she's not teaching a ladies class. All right? Um... (laughs) She's speaking a message from God to men to guide the nation of Israel. Woman prophetess, Huldah. And then, then there's one more that I found in the Old Testament. And you guys, you guys either know these really well or are you using the, your Bible search apps. <laughs> Look at it. She just knows everything in the Bible. We've got another prophetess on the front row over here. Ah, here we go. Jeff back there. Let's get a man here. Let's come on, Jeff. Say that again, I'm sorry. Okay, so I didn't, I didn't have that one. I, then that means the, the, the Hebrew word for prophet is not connected with her, but it must be the... Okay, okay. So there's one there, but she wasn't a good one. Does the Bible give any rules? I mean, how did God say, okay, that was going to be a prophet. This was going to be a prophet. I mean, how did... How does that work? How does God decide you're going to be a prophet, you're not, you're going to be the leader, you're going to be a king, you're going to be a priest? Of course, we know how priests were decided. That was, that was not a problem. So your hand went straight up. So answer that for us. No, I want to know if the Old Testament prophets were single, not married. I want to know if the Old Testament prophets were single or married. Okay, okay. And why do you want to know that? Deborah was married, and, she, and there, his name was Lapidoth, or whatever. Yep, so we know that. Holda was, was married. Answered. As a matter of fact, I have another example of that, but wait a minute, I don't want to jump over this. How, how, how was that decided? Did someone say, I'm going to be a prophet? There were a school of prophets? Who, who, how do we know that? Elijah and Elisha had schools of prophet. We know that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think there's a passage in the Bible that says this is how prophets were chosen. They were just chosen by God. And we know in the New Testament they were given the gifts. 
as God so determines. I'm in 1 Corinthians 12 there. There was another one that was married. Yep. I believe that. But we're not wearing the Old Testament still. We're getting ready to go there. Thank you. Yep. Yep. You want me to read that verse? You want to read it? No, I like my translation. Let's hear, let's hear yours. I slept with my wife and she became pregnant. Let's see, I'm not sure what, which one I have. I said, then I made love to the prophetess. I went to the prophet, King James, that's smooth, man. 1600s, boy, they got to be careful about how they decided. So Isaiah had sexual relations to the prophetess. She conceived and gave birth to a son. And he became known of as the individual in the Bible who had the longest word that shows up in the Bible. And that name is Meher Shalohashbaz. And he had his popular brother who was... Sheer Jashbub. you got to remember these things. I was playing Bible trivia one time, and, and the question was, what's the longest word in the Bible? And I had to remember that from some crazy reason. And I said, Mehar Shalal Hashbaz, and they all laughed because they knew I was making that up, except the person holding the card. Um, now, the problem with, with Isaiah's wife, the prophetess, uh, prophetess can also be translated as the wife of a prophet. So it could be one or the other. They were married. Yeah, but here's the problem with all of that. That's the Old Testament. So it doesn't count. I just love that one. If, if something doesn't fit into our practice today and it's in the Old Testament, it's, it's the Old Testament. But our problem is when we work our way into the Old Te- New Testament, let me suggest to you that we not only see prophetesses, but we see this function of prophetesses broadened. First one, the first one, is in Luke chapter 2. Um, and you, uh, you already mentioned it, so that's why I was uh, stealing uh, that from you. What's her name? Anna. A- Anna. And so with the context there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn to that because I think it's significant. I'm going to turn to that. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born and they're taking him to the temple for the purification rites and for the consecration with the offering uh, what's his name Simeon sees Jesus and he's been waiting and God fulfilled that promise and then we read in verse 36 now I want you to notice this about Anna okay she's a prophetess because it says it so we don't question that what did she do okay who was there when she was doing it where was she when she was doing what she was doing and what was the setting? What was this? Okay? Okay? So let's look at it. There, verse 36, was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So she gave thanks to God. Did you hear that? Did she do that? Now let me ask you something. She's a prophetess. Prophetesses, people who had the prophecy that gives a prophecy. 
They were speaking to people, messaging God. So in the presence of Joseph and Mary, she gives thanks to God. Where was she? So that would, would they, could that, is it fair to say that was their church building? Okay. And she's with Joseph, she's with Mary, and she gives thanks to God. Was that a prayer? If it could, should she not have said, Joseph, would you mind saying a prayer? But she didn't. I, I, I'm seeing her communicating to God in front of men. And I'm seeing in the temple, in, in, a, in a moment of, was it a moment of worship? I mean, they weren't taking communion, right? I mean, they didn't have an announcements and you know, benediction, perhaps. Um, and she was speaking to all as a prophetess to men and women gathered in their church building, in their place of worship, in the act of worship. A prophetess woman is speaking and praying the words of God in the presence of men while men are listening. Is that what happened? Because that's, that's kind of hard, isn't it? I understand that's like the way you said that, but is that true? Okay. Um, well, I can still. Uh, yes, sir. Paul, Paul, who was a misogynist, should have said, "Stop that, Luke! Don't write that, Luke! Don't include that." Okay, here's what you say to that. Let me give you a good argument. Yeah, Eddie, but you're still under the old covenant because this is before the death, burial, and the resurrection. Old Testament. Okay, Old Testament. Then we go, oh, we got a little kink in all that argument. We go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's go there. Say that again, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm getting corrected over here, everybody. <laughs> Acts 1.14 and Acts 2.17. Read that then. Acts 1.14 and 2. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. We're in Acts 1. Okay, I'm in Acts 2, so tell me what you got in Acts chapter 1. Okay, I didn't notice that one. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14... In Acts one fourteen, let me just go there. Okay, so we got men and women, disciples of Jesus, after the ascension, gathered together in prayer. Okay, so in Acts chapter two, we have the new covenant. Clearly. So we've moved from Old Testament to New Testament, if we want to use that argument. And the Holy Spirit has come upon the apostles, and Peter is saying, nope, we're not drunk. And he says in verse 17, this is what was spoken about, verse 16, by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters 
will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This is where I'm saying it was broadened. Not only do we see it from the Old Testament and the New Testament, but now he's saying there's something more that you're going to experience. There's going to be an outpouring. No, there is at this moment, he said, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon men and women and your men and women will prophesy and we've defined prophesy as meaning speaking messages from God. That's under the new covenant in the church. Is that correct? Yes, Benita. Should be asked. Yeah. 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 So the question, the question is, and, and I've got that question, and I've got it here because I anticipated it, it should have been asked. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, great. This doesn't apply to us at all because there is a passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. One day these prophecies will cease. And some say that day is when the New Testament canon was finally completed. And so when those prophecies cease, we no longer have men and women prophesying. Okay, so there, that, that's a good question. But that still doesn't rule out. And, we, and we'll talk about that perhaps more. But that doesn't rule out the fact that in the first century when these restrictions to women were given, there were women praying and prophesying, speaking messages from God. And that was allowed. Now, that prophecy might have ended. That, 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 that the gift of prophecy might have ended. Um, depends on how you interpret 1 Corinthians 13. But as I interpret these passages, women be silent. Here I'm told that they can speak and pray. And, first of all, he didn't say prayers will cease. Um, under the new covenant... In the early church that serves as our guide, prophecy is given by the Holy Spirit to men and women for the purpose of speaking words of God to men and women. Acts 21, Philip's daughters were um, prophetesses, four of them. We have 7.22. I'm going to skip Romans 12, and if we finish 1 Corinthians 14, I'll go back to that. But I want to go straight to... First uh, Corinthians 14. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, we won't read, but that's the passage. We've got this body, and everybody's got different body parts, and some have this gift, some have that gift, and all these gifts are for the edification or for the good of the church. So what gifts you had there for the good of the church. And so he's, he's in that context somewhat. Here in 1 Corinthians 14... First Corinthians 14. Oh, so this is 12, 13, and 14. The gifts of the Spirit. Oh, they were going crazy. They, they were so out of control and misusing and abusing and being arrogant with, their, uh, with the use of these gifts. And there was lack of control. And so he's, he's, he's addressing that problem. And so now he's addressing this issue of I'm more spiritual than you because I speak in tongues compared to you who prophesies. And there's all this 
contentious spirit here. But in the midst of this, in verses 1 through 5, he's a lot to say. We're going to come back to this because we're going to look in, verse, uh, in chapter 14 about the women be silent passage later. It's in this chapter. But in verses 1 through 5, as he's, he's addressing these questions and issues concerning their misuse and a misunderstanding about speaking in tongues and prophecy, he compares speaking in tongue to prophecy. And as he does so, he, he describes the purpose of prophecy. What's the purpose of this gift that was given? Okay? Follow verse 1, the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather that you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation of, or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? According to that, Men and women in the early church were given the gift of prophecy and the purpose of the gift of prophecy was to do what? Just right out of the Bible, what does it say? Sorry? To edify the church. To encourage and comfort the church. In verse 3, he says, I'm speaking to everyone. Everyone who prophesies, actually it says speaks to men, where my translation says speaks to people. I, th I think it literally is a man, but that means men and women. For their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's the purpose of prophecy. Verse 4, the one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, um, prophecy, comparatively speaking, is greater than speaking in tongues. In verse 6, it's likened to instruction. And then in verse 19, which I didn't read, it, it speaks of prophecy being intelligible words used to give instruction. So put this together. Women like men, is this, is this accurate? In the New Testament church, women like men in the New Testament church are given the gift of prophecy. And the purpose of prophecy was to speak to men and women in the church for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. To edify the church, to give a word of instruction. Is that correct? You understand why I stop and pause there? Um, what time is it? 7.26. Let, let me go back and look at this. Was there anything? Oh, no. Not so, not necessarily. Uh, Romans 12, 3 through 8, it defines and describes the purpose of prophecy as well. But we're getting kind of late, and I told you i got to cut out. So... So there we've had a, a general overview of what prophecy is in the Bible. We've had a general overview that men and women in the Old Testament and the New Testament served in this role, men and women. And we've defined what it means. Basically, someone who's speaking to others, whether it be men or women, whether it be in the assembly or out in the field, a message from God. So I pull that into 1 Corinthians um, 11, women in the first century church had and were allowed to use the gift of prophecy, which was speaking a message of God to others in the church. 1 Corinthians 11, they were also allowed to pray, but they were instructed how to do it. Now, we're going to look at that next. Um, 
He, he doesn't in the instructions in our primary passage we're looking at and we've now come back to, he doesn't tell them, stop that. He says, if you're going to do it, here's how. So when we look at the how, that's the deeper principle. Point of application, if indeed what we've just looked at is true, I see personally nothing in our east side activity that violates um, what we see here but by actually uh, in, in women praying women communicating women making announcements women making benedictions but there comes a point when it does become wrong when is that are, are there hands back in the back Scott okay say that again Talking about the definition of prophecy? I think that's very significant, Scott. Did you guys get that? That, that there's a word for teaching... There's the words of preaching and there's a word for prophecy. Very good point. As a matter of fact, that reminds me, oh, I had this passage in Romans chapter 12 picked out and we didn't go to it. There I am. Um, in, in Romans, let me finish this. In Romans 12, he says, we all got these gifts. And if you got them, you're supposed to use them. And he says, you got this gift, you got that gift. He says, you got the gift of prophecy. And then he goes, the gift of teaching and then the gift of leadership. Leadership, and I think that was significant. Dif- also, two different Greek words. That I would say the gift of teaching is the same word for teaching. It's usually almost always uh, didasko throughout the New Testament. Um, but there is a distinguished difference between prophecy and leadership in Romans 12. Some prophesy, some lead. So I only want to suggest, and we'll come back to it, is it possible that a woman in the first century church was allowed to speak and proclaim messages from God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that was a role of authoritative leadership because he distinguishes them there. And it could it be in 1 Corinthians 11 and in 1 Timothy 2, that's the very point he's trying to make because women were crossing those boundaries. Benita. Oh, great point. It, how, it's so important how we muddy the water. Well, I think it's a great point if, if I understand you with, with using the word leading in prayer. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So right now you're talking to me and we're all okay with that. But if you say, dear God, and start praying, now we're not okay with that because you're taking a leadership role over me in authority simply because you're now addressing God? That's interesting. Um, yes, yeah, so, so is it possible, and I believe it is, for a woman's mouth to open here on Sunday morning and words to come out, but that doesn't mean she's taking a leadership role of authority over men, but that God is using her as an instrument in that moment. Okay, we've got to end. So what we're going to do, I, I asked, okay, but wait a minute. There's a point when it does become wrong. Because there, there was something wrong with it in 1 Corinthians 11. There was something wrong with it in 1 Timothy 2. And there was something wrong with it in 1 Corinthians 14. What was that? We're not through with chapter 11, okay? So we're going to go to chapter 11 uh, next week. And so now that we've figured out what the problem was and what women were doing, 
um, what, 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 how does he correct it? What does he say to fix this? I really, really want to ask you to read this ahead of time. There's a principle that he states. There's God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of, of woman. What's that about? Verse 3. What does head mean? And what, what's, the, what's the principle that he states? Then after he states the principle, he, he applies the principle. Therefore, we need to have coverings or not. What's the head thing all about? Secondly, what's the covering thing? What do you do with that? Because it's because of that. And how does that apply to us? Is it cultural? If it's just cultural, applicable to the first century city in Corinth, what's the overarching principle that still applies? I want to ask you to look at that. What does it mean that man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of man? What do you do with that? And because of the angels, (laughs) what's that about? All right. And then um, what about these comments that uh, don't you realize that men shouldn't have long hair and, and, and women should? And who defines that? And what's that got to do with this? Um, I, I, please, please read 1 Corinthians 11. Dig into that and, and see if you can figure that out. And then after that, you can be thinking about, we're going to go, yeah, but wait a minute, this isn't at church. Or was it? Um, We'll talk about that. And then, well, if this is true, what we heard tonight, then how does that correspond to what we see in 1 Corinthians 14 where they're told to be silent as well as 1 Timothy? So I'm asking these questions. I want you to be thinking about that. And let's build on more of what Benita brought up, which um, is about, but wait a minute, I thought prophecy sees, so everything Eddie said tonight is not applicable to us at all. Uh, so, yes, and then, then I'll... If your name is in the bulletin, we'll let, we'd have to ask the elders that. No, the, the leader's program. The program on Sunday morning. If your name is on the bulletin. It, or the program on Sunday morning. Oh, I get you. Are we under the leadership? Then they would be under the leadership, wouldn't they? If their name is here, who plans this? Uh, Matt does. So they'd be under Matt's leadership. Right. And, and Matt leads the elders. No, that's not true. <laughs> hey, look, guys, I, 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 I'm, I'm serious. I'm scared to answer any more questions. I told you at 7.30. Oh, I got to get my microphone up. Let me say a prayer. Father, thank you for uh, this biblical journey we've been on. Your words are nourishing. We pray that you'll nourish us by these words and help us work our way through this. Lord, we want to be guided by you and your revelation and not by any of the moving trends in our culture. We want to be a light on the hill that reflects your glory to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.